This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudy. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. I am Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg, and today in the studio, we have a returning favorite, Carvel Wallace, who is here to fight with me, and ultimately, one of us will emerge the victor. Put him up. Uh, you're not allowed to talk yet. I have to oh, do sorry. my opening riff. <laughs> uh, please disregard what you just heard, <laughs> listeners. It, it, I don't want to break the illusion here. He is off in a, a preparatory sort of antechamber where he was meditating and preparing himself to give advice. He's definitely not sitting next to me trying to be quiet while I do my opening riff that he's not allowed to be a part of. Damn it, you've ruined the illusion. Uh, I, I just had to share with all of you a bumper sticker that I just saw as I was walking into the studio today, in part because I think I need to address uh, the larger issue that it raises. It was a picture of the snake of, of Do Not Tread On Me fame, the little coiled snake who's in kind of the shape of a beehive, like a sassy little beehive where he's like, don't tread on me. And he's all sliced up, um, but he doesn't want to be treaded on, even though he's sliced up. Uh, it's a that snake uh, over a rainbow flag, and it says, hashtag shoot back. Uh, which is a lot. Uh, I, I believe that it is uh, a bumper sticker that is advocating that, that queers arm ourselves and shoot people, um, which is like an intense sentiment and and definitely not the one that I want to get into today. My, my main point is I don't think we should be bringing the don't tread on me snake into our national discourse. I feel like we should let him go. I feel like that snake should be tread upon. Like, A of all, snakes are bad. I think we can all agree that we don't want to be a snake in any sort of scenario. So whether you have the don't tread on me snake because you, you don't want to be tread upon uh, or or because you want to, you know, utilize that snake in, in a different uh, sort of political message, like, no one wants to be the snake. No one wants to say, like, I represent snakes. That's my deal. Um, like being snaky is not good. You don't want to be a snake in the grass. I don't want to think of myself as a snake in a situation. If I have to anthropomorphize myself, I'd like to be some sort of like noble fox 
maybe like the cute foxes from the cartoon version of Robin Hood. I don't know. I'm just coming up with ideas, but I don't want to be a snake. And I definitely don't want to be a sliced up snake. Um, I think it's a bad image and and not one that we should use. So if you're thinking about reusing the no treading snake bits uh, in a beehive shape for your own political ends, I urge you to pick a different drawing of an animal. Hi, Carvel. Hey, I just came back from my meditation antechamber and I'm ready to discuss some advice. I'm so glad to hear that. I'll get us started with uh, a letter that is called Wedding Blues. Mm, topical. All right, don't make any comments Sorry, while I'm reading the letter. Because right. no, just... it's a long one. I got to get through it I have, and okay. I can't have little sounds. My lips are sealed. Go back in your meditation room. <laughs> oh. All right. Dear Prudence, my sister is getting married this spring, and I would be happy for her, except that she's chosen to invite only our mother to her wedding and not our stepfather. My parents' marriage crumbled while I was at college and my sister was in high school. It wasn't pretty. My mother had an affair with the man who became my stepfather, and my sister decided to live with our dad after the divorce. This was over a decade ago. Both my sister and I have since gone on to graduate college, establish our careers, and carve out our adult lives. Our father has since remarried and adopted my stepmother's kids, but my sister keeps the grudge alive. She only ever sees our mother alone and played some serious mind games while in high school. She was always busy on my mom's custody weekends and holidays until my mom got the hint and started staying in a hotel near us rather than trying to make my sister come to her new house where my stepfather was. I was very close to my mother and stepfather. The invitation, addressed only to my mother, was a real slap in the face. Both of them were counting on distance and time to soften my sister's stance. Trying to bring this up to my sister just results in her freezing me out for weeks at a time. Frankly, I'm tired of kowtowing to her emotional blackmail. This is killing my mother and insulting to my stepfather, who's a good and decent man who loves my mother. My mother is torn about whether to attend the wedding solo or to take a stand. I'm tempted to call my sister and tell her that if my stepfather can't come, then I won't be attending either. I know this might ruin my relationship with my sister, but I'm so tired of her acting like a martyr over a divorce she wasn't even part of. Should I bite the bullet, or am I going off half-cocked here? I would like to start by thanking this reader for using the expression half-cocked, which does not happen nearly enough in these letters. Yeah, I agree. There's not nearly enough cocking in these letters. I saw what? in your eyes that you were going to make that joke. I wasn't even... And it was like... What are you talking about? It was about? like watching someone jump just, off of a cliff. I, I just didn't want to see it. There was a momentum. There it was happened. a gravity go to back, it. Go back in your room. Who am I to fight against the laws of nature? <sighs> okay. Anyway, go on. All right. Give this. Give these people some advice, Okay. Man. First of all... The the okay, she says she's doing a lot. Yeah, wait, am I <laughs> sorry? Is it my turn? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. So, um, why does she say she's acting like a martyr over a divorce she wasn't even part of when she says earlier that she was in high school when the divorce took place? So that to me, that's the magical key of this letter, I think, mm -hmm. because my, my first instinct is. I, I'm sorry. I mean, I get that you think your sister is reacting unfairly to this. Sure. But that seems like your sister has to work that out with her and her God and her friends and her uh, therapist or whomever. Yeah. You don't really get to say, if you don't act right about this, about your experience in divorce, then I'm going to withhold my relationship. Right. Especially, especially the implication that she does not have a right to react to the divorce. That's right. Because... 
didn't happen to her, That's which right. doesn't seem true. It definitely it happened It definitely to her. happened to her. Yeah. And in fact, it, I mean, if you want to go that route, it happened more to her than it did to you, letter writer, because you were away at college. Your sister was left behind in high school. Yeah. She might have seen things that you did not. Exactly. And like maybe, although maybe if that happened, she would have said something. So I don't even know if that's. But the point is that her experience is such that she's like, I'm not talking to this guy. This guy's not coming to my wedding. I'm never forgiving this guy. For the affair, I mean, this was an affair. Yeah. Not to, like, pull moral rank, but, like, this was, so, so like, the sister has, the sister, the aggrieved sister has some validity in mm-hmm. her feeling, in her reaction to this thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the way the letter writer would like it to be. Right. But the letter writer doesn't get to determine how this woman reacts. Right. As far and as, I... oh, as far as the wedding goes, I'm just like, go to the wedding because it's your sister's wedding. Yeah. Hopefully there's only going to be one mm-hmm. and you're going to regret missing out on that. Like more regrettable things don't fix the first one. Right. Um, and your mother has to decide what to do about whether or not she's going to like stand this continued abuse to her partner. Um, but I don't think you get to decide whether or not, you know, and, and for the guy's part, this is a grown ass man. Yeah. I would think, you know, the two kids that are of wedding age. Uh, he can deal with his, if he's like so hurt over his feelings that he's like going to somehow not come to this wedding or like freeze her out. Then that's really between them. But I think the letter writer kind of just needs to put her feelings aside mm-hmm. and be there for her sister on her wedding day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's kind of what I meant by like she's doing a lot where mm-hmm. it's sort of like mm-hmm. it's not your wedding. Mm-hmm. It's not your partner. I definitely understand your feelings. Mm-hmm. I think everyone Everyone has a point with some merit and some Mm. drawbacks here, but ultimately, this is not about you. And frankly, if I were your sister, I'd feel a little hurt that you were like bending so far over backwards to defend your stepfather Mm. Um, because you sound really emotionally connected to him. Again, not that that's a problem, but uh, if, if she feels hurt that this guy that she sees as being really responsible for breaking up her parents' marriage and that, like, you're on team stepdad and her mom's there and she's kind of the only person who's like, hey, I actually remember that and it really hurt me and I don't like this guy. And again, like, I I understand her perspective. I also think you're right that at some point you do have to let some things go, but you also can't force that on her. I think it's really fair for you to say, I understand that you don't like him. I want you to know that, like, I have a working relationship with him. I'm not going to cut him out of my life, but I'm also not going to force you to spend time with him. Yeah. And you need to work out between you and mom, like, to what degree you're going to be able to interact with him. I would love for you guys to be able to be in a room together. I'm not expecting you to become best friends. But you can't do more than that. You can't Yeah. You can't go past that. Yeah, and you also can't hold attendance at the wedding hostage, no. which I think is a kind of a low blow, actually. I think if you want to have this conversation with your sister— it seems like an appropriate conversation to have at the time and place, but to pick like this one moment and say, well, if, you know, like at the moment of the wedding, which is a really big deal, mm-hmm. obviously marriage is important to this sister, Yep, which is why she's getting which married. Is the source of the issue yes. here. So obviously this day is going to be super important to her. I think it's kind of a shady move to like sort of threaten to hold that hostage if the mm-hmm. sister doesn't do what? Get over her feelings about this guy that broke up her parents' marriage? I, I also feel like, one thing that I just don't think is quite fair is the letter writer says that their sister played some, quote unquote, serious mind games in high yeah. school. I don't think those were mind games. I think she was really hurt. Yeah. I think that she was avoiding your mom and was pretending to be busy because she felt like if she said, I don't want to be around him, she was going to get in trouble. Um, 
And I just want to, like, point out that, like, a teenager who doesn't want to spend time with the person her mom had an affair with is not the same thing as an adult playing mind games. Again, that doesn't mean that everything she's doing now is great and she should keep it up. But I I would urge you to kind of look back on that with a little more sympathy. And maybe try asking your sister, if you haven't before, what was that like for you? Living at home, finding out that our parents were getting divorced, learning that someone mom worked with she was having an affair with and then being asked to get to know him. Yeah. To like invite this guy into your house and yeah. like let him, I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot to ask of a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, also full disclosure. Yeah. I love my parents. They have a great marriage. They're both wonderful people. If one of them had an affair and then married that person, I could totally understand intellectually. Like it, you know, adults make mistakes. Sometimes relationships end. I, I, I don't necessarily need to like carry this against that person. Uh, for the rest of my life, I'd have a real tough time with it. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want to spend a lot of weekends hanging out with them, and I'm not even in high school. I'm, I'm yeah. in my late twenties. Yeah, I, th- I think that's asking a lot of the kid who's re- who remains at home, who right. al- who already that's a situation where a kid feels left behind, mm-hmm. right? When they remain at home, the older sister's gone. She doesn't have to sit through like the dissolution of this marriage. She's off at of college. The other one's home alone. She has to deal with this by herself. And then, so there's a feeling of abandonment. And then the, I think the abandonment is furthered by the fact that, like, everyone's just having a great time being a family. Yeah. And she's the He's only one who's like, well, wait a minute now. And she's the only one holding that. And so sometimes when people feel like they're the only person holding hmm. down a position, they dig in deep on that yeah. position. Yeah. And it might be helpful for the older sister to kind of, like, meet her a little bit in the middle so that this... The, the younger sister can like let go a little bit yeah. of her feeling like she's the only person holding the sanctity of this former marriage in her hands. Right, right. You know that that, that makes so much sense. Yeah, and to kind of just say like, clearly this affected you in a way it didn't me, and I'm really sorry if I've tried to like rush you past it. And I'd love to know more about what it felt like. Yeah, and that doesn't mean you have to say he's a bad person and I'm going to hate him on your behalf. I don't right. mean that at all. Right. Um, but to listen and to try to understand. And you can absolutely draw a line and say, look, I'm close with him. I've moved on. I understand that what he did was not ideal and neither was what our mom did. But he has a place in my life now. um, And I want you to at least respect that. um, But I'm not going to force you to love him. Yeah. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Why don't you take us through the next one? Who, me? Yeah. Speaking of affairs. Yeah, and more sisters, too. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff happening, a lot of weird co- synergy happening mm-hmm. here. My sister, the cheater. My almost 30-year-old sister has been in a relationship with a man for 10 years. He has two kids from a previous marriage, and they have their own two-year-old child. For the last year, she's been unhappy and finally decided to leave him last month. While I'm sad that the family is broken up, I'm very angry with my sister. Not because she left him, but because she cheated on him towards the end. Having been cheated on, I have no tolerance for people who cheat on their significant others. If you are unhappy in a relationship, leave them before pursuing another. I'm having a difficult time being supportive to my little sister because I'm angry with what she's done. I feel like I shouldn't have a right to feel this way. So I'm asking you, how can I shake this feeling? Let's give credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. This letter writer 
realizes on some level that they're feeling too much mm. for someone else's behalf, on someone else's behalf. Yeah. Um, and I always want to give someone credit for that because uh, a lot of times we have really big outsized reactions that have more to do with things that have happened to us yes. than with what someone else has done to a yes. third party. And I think it's always good when you can stop and say, I realize that this is disproportionate right. and I know that I can't act this way. Help. Right. So good for you. Right. Yeah. Congratulations. And I honestly, I get it. I get it. There are ways in which I can get self-righteously angry, mm. uh, really vindictive and take a lot of, you know, just like dark joy in the idea of punishing someone else for transgressing things that I consider myself to be above. Right. Um, and that's not compassionate. Uh, it's not helpful. It's right. not useful to me or to others, which is not to say no one should ever experience anger, just that um, I get this. I think I, more more likely am I to say, like, you cheated. You're a bad person. Right. Um, and to really think, like, oh, that makes me good. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel the same way. I have, like, I mean, growing up, I was just always mystified by how much, like, cheating stuff was happening mm -hmm. in, like, movies and television. I'd just be like, but that's bad. You're not supposed to cheat. Why is anyone cheating all the time? And then when I found out that actual people were cheating, I was just like, I thought it was, like, akin to murder. You know what I mean? I thought it was just, like, murderers were, like, a loose, you know, just running around. And so I, as I grew older... I don't know that I developed a more nuanced view, but you I mean, mean you cheated on some for, people? That's what you did. As I cheated on more people, I began to see, no. As I as I grew older, I began to first accept that not everyone felt that way. Not either the cheaters or the cheaties, even the aggrieved parties. People were moving past like transgressions in monogamous relationships, and I'm sp speaking specifically, obviously, about monogamous relationships because right. I realize there can be other types, which is cool, but. Uh, I think if you make this agreement that like, hey, you're the only person I'm going to be doing it with, then you should only be doing it with that person. And that to not do that is actually pretty ex a pretty extreme level of violation yeah. of a person's trust. And I am mystified by how frequently it happens and people like are like, well, it was a mistake and I just it was one night and kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I also get where this letter writer is coming from. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sometimes where we get the sort of zero tolerance policy that this person's espousing. Right. Because you'll often hear this sort of vague, well, because I found a better relationship as a result of this, it was a good idea. Or, ah, oh, the heart is so mysterious. Who's to say what's right and what's wrong? Right. In a way that can be, you know, really dismissive of right. like your responsibility to another person's feelings. Yeah. Because, so then yeah. sometimes you'll get people saying things like, I have no tolerance for cheaters. Right. Um, which is not a useful policy, partly because um, that's not the same thing as saying I have no tolerance for cheating. Um, I, I think it would be really unreasonable for you to say I have no tolerance for my sister because she cheated on her husband. I think it's really fair for you to say I don't like that my sister cheated on her husband. Right. I think it was wrong. It reminded me of the time that I was cheated on. Right. I feel like sad for him and angry with her. And to also say... My sister is not an irredeemably bad person. Right. She is not forever marked by having cheated on her husband. She is not a person who cannot, I can't be close with or I can't love. Right. Um, you, you, both of those things can be true. She could have done a bad thing and still be a person you love. Right. And the question that she poses, I think, is a real, a, I'm assuming she, I don't know why I'm assuming she. The question this person poses, which I think is a really good one, hmm. is not, uh, is not like, how do I deal with my sister or what should I do? It's how can I shake this feeling mm -hmm. that that is standing in the way of me being the supportive sibling that I actually need to be mm -hmm. here because the sister is going through something and is like, I need some support. Right. And the letter writer is having a difficult time showing up because they're harboring their own 
resentment yes. and anger towards. And this kind of makes me wonder if if the letter writer has shared this with their sister. Because they don't say, I told her I was mad. Yeah, which is exactly what I was getting at. And I think you yeah. should. Yeah, I think I think in terms of how do you get over resentment towards another person, which is what this letter is ultimately about. Mm-hmm. And whether that resentment is justified or not, I think the methodology is still the same. Right. That I think you do have to talk. And in this case, given that it's a sibling and it's so core to what their experience is right now, I think to have that honest conversation is helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think that we're processing other traumas uh, and we don't want to process our traumas at a third party who's kind right. of unwittingly stepped into the emotional minefield that we're carrying. Right. And so I wonder what this person has done or needs to do to process their own experience. Right. I think you should be careful about how you <clears throat> say this to your sister. Don't wait until she's like in the middle of moving boxes and holding a toddler on her hip and crying to say, by the way, mm-hmm. I hate cheaters. <laughs> um, I think you should wait and kind of practice out what you want to say. Think about what your goal is from the conversation. Um, I think you should focus on saying, I really love you. My goal is to support yeah, you. Right. I don't want to like, uh, I, I'm not saying this because I want you to know that I won't be here for you, but it's also really important for me to acknowledge I'm really sad that you cheated on your husband. I'm disappointed. I wish you hadn't done it. I wish you had left sooner. I wish you had made a different decision. Um, and to kind of be prepared for her to not love that. Yeah. Uh, probably she's not. I mean, maybe she will say, thank you for this loving correction. I am ashamed of having done it. I wish I had done things differently. These were some extenuating circumstances. I hope not to cheat on someone again in the future. She wow. might. That would be an amazing response. That sister sounds amazing. Uh, but she also might get defensive. Right. And she might say, you weren't in that marriage for 10 years, right. which is true. Right. Um, you don't know what it's been like. And also, I, I don't appreciate hearing criticism while I'm in the middle of a divorce. And he had, I agree with that. And here's the, so you have to be willing to take whatever the feedback is. Mm-hmm. is uh, but I, here's the other thing that I think this letter writer might need to remember, which is that our own moral lines are not arbitrary, but they're more arbitrary than we think, right? That, that this letter writer is like, well, that's where I draw the line. That's that's so bad that I can't even support you as you go through difficult things. And that for other people, it might not be that that's so bad. And I think this letter writer has to encompass a view that is a little bit different than their own. Um You've lost me there. Well, I, think, I understand it. I just don't agree with you. Okay. But I feel you. Well, I know because that's what you just said, that you, you're you <laughs> like, my line in the sand is the line in the sand. Obviously, none of the things I believe are arbitrary. <laughs> right. I, everything I believe is exactly as it should be. It. It's everyone else on the planet that has randomly picked, picked out and chosen spots of morality. Yep. But like the way I see it is that, I mean, I am more along the lines of this person with the cheating thing, mm-hmm. but I've also come to recognize that not everyone is there. Right. And- for some, if I, th- what that means is that if I believe that cheating is as bad as I believe it is mm-hmm. and I do it, I'm doing a super duper bad thing. Sure. And no one wants to think of themselves as a bad person. If someone else believes that cheating is less of a big deal. Right. And they do it, maybe they're not doing as bad a thing. I realize that that's controversial. No, totally. Maybe they're not doing as bad it a is thing. Controversial. Um, and so I think in this case, the goal is to, she wants to support her sister. Yep. She wants to be there. So her sister is not an irredeemable asshole. Right. She's not going around like murdering cats and kicking babies down steps. Sure. Right. So, but of course, that's an arbitrary line, Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong for you might not be wrong for me. <laughs> Perhaps killing cats is just a matter of preference. I'm just going to let you keep talking. Until I'm you hoisting say you by your really, own petard. Really inappropriate. Hoisting. <laughs> I feel hoisted. Um, 
but my point here is that um, I mean this this is the like age old question: is morality relative or is it? We are getting absolute? too abstract. However, here's my point. What's up? That this person clearly loves their sister. Yep. So their sister is not an irredeemably bad person. So if she so if she's a good person who's deserving of this person's love, which the letter indicates, mm-hmm. and she did one thing wrong. Mm-hmm. It's clear evidence that she's not a terrible person, yep. which means that she still deserves the love and support that you would give to any loved one yep. during a difficult time in their lives. Yep. And I would say to do the following. One is be honest. I think it would be a real mistake to think I can't tell her this because I think then it would seep out in other ways. I think if you didn't say I'm angry and sad that you did that, uh, you would find yourself flaking last minute when you offered to help, being reserved, withdrawn, maybe even sullen when you were spending time with her. Well, that's when you would blurt it out while she's holding a crying toddler. Exactly. Right. And that would be suboptimal. So I think you should have an honest conversation where you don't take it too far. You don't say you cheated and therefore you're this kind of a person. But you say you cheated and that hurts me and it reminded me of the time that I was cheated on. And leave it at that and let her have a response. And then, you know, take a little time after that. Don't do that before you're going to help her move. Um, And then figure out, like, are there limits you need to set? Um, If you are spending time with her and you recognize yourself getting really frustrated, um, can you say, I need to go? Or or can you limit the time you spend together for a while so that you can really be present when you're together um, and then work out your feelings either with a therapist or through a journal or by talking with other people? Um, Because, you know, you get to have that conversation with her. You can't force her to rehash it with you as long as you have feelings. Like, you do get to be honest with her about how you feel. You cannot then make her responsible for your feelings about cheating and work them out for the next six months or a year or ten years. Mm. Don't be like the sisters in the last letter who are still working out something that they disagreed about 10 years ago and are not sure if they can be in the same room together right now, I think. Um, Say it once, have the conversation. One or two follow-up conversations may be necessary, but don't, don't... Beyond that, process it on your own. Process it on your own. And if if that means you can't help her every day, that's okay. Figure out what you can do and do that. And good luck. Yeah. Uh, Well, this next letter does not involve anyone's sisters. And it is called Neutral White Friend, which I guess means I will be reading it. (laughs) As the neutral. (laughs) I'll I'll stop. Never mind. That's a joke that doesn't need to get made. Just like to point out that I did not say that. (laughs) Uh, Dear Prudence, about a year ago, I was at a friend's party. And her roommate insisted that he should be allowed to use the N-word and actually said it during his argument. I later brought this up with my friend, who's generally pretty vocally progressive. And she said that he said things like that before, and she's gotten angry with him for it in the past. So I kind of dropped it, but recently I noticed that she's never invited me over again since. We're relatively close, and I know that there's a number of other possible reasons she might not invite me over, but it feels like it started then. And between then and now... There was another minor incident where a good friend of hers in our group of friends said something else racist, but with enough plausible deniability that there was an exhausting debate about it, and she just dodged the issue entirely. I understand not wanting to get involved in things, but she's generally quite vocal about racial injustice in theory, and when strangers have said racist things to me, she's defended me, so it really feels kind of unfair, even though I don't feel that she's being consciously malicious." Somehow this feels even worse than all the times people have actually said racist things to me. A counterpoint is that a mutual friend told me, you can't expect her to go up against her roommate and her good friend. In the end, I know this just means we won't be close anymore, but I wonder if there was a way to let her know how I feel about how hurt I am by her neutral stance, especially since she considers herself to be quote-unquote woke, or if it's just not worth it. This sounds like a white person problem. It sure does. To be totally honest. And I think as as a white person, you should offer some advice to your sisters. 
in the I, struggle. Um, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the first thing that leaps out at me is the mutual friend who says you can't expect her to go up against her roommate and her good friend. I disagree with that so intensely. I want to vibrate into the sun. Um, I, I think it is perhaps the most important thing in the world uh, to hold the people in our lives accountable to a reasonable standard. Um, and I think if you would let the fact that you live with someone or are close with someone keep you from saying you did or said something racist that hurt another person, um, you are pursuing a lack of conflict and mistaking it for peace. Um, you are confusing silence for understanding. Uh, you are confusing uh, a sense of everyone getting along for actual friendship. And you are failing your friends and yourself. Yes, agreed. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I could not have said that any better. And I think that that's like, this is such a timely letter because that in a lot of ways is what's at, this is one of the issues that's at the sort of, near the nuclear center of race discussions in 2016. Right. And that's what kind of, I think, like, made the basket of deplorables comment so explosive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I heard people be like, oh, my grandmother's deplorable now, according to your twisted logic. Mm -hmm. Like, and the idea is that people can be benignly racist. This question of benign racism and, like, how much, if someone is benignly racist, do you treat them the same that you treat a cross-burning member of the Klan? And, um... And I think a lot of people who are related to, friends with, in social circles with people who they believe are benignly racist want to draw the line right there. Right. They want to say, no, that's not right. We can't be mad at these people. We can't, you know, and, um, but I think what you said is right on, that people are conflating lack of conflict with harmony. Right. No, and I'm just really sorry for this letter writer that <clears throat> her friend has failed her repeatedly. Yeah. And has sort of like... Uh, been really okay with defending the letter writer against like racist comments from strangers, but won't extend that same courtesy to her when it's people who are close with her, which to me feels almost more painful yeah. because it's this very intimate betrayal. Yes. And it's this sort of idea that like, oh, sure, in theory, I think racism's bad. But if someone I like, a fellow white person who I'm comfortable with wants to say the N-word in front of you and you object to it, I'm going to pick him. Yeah. And I'm going to pick his comfort over your comfort. Well, although, and here's where I think kind of my, so I think the letter writer is asking for advice, right. too. And so this is the advice to white people is not really the point of the letter, although right. it's important. Because um, it's it sounds like the, the letter writer is a person of color. It sounds like it. Yeah. And so, um, so I don't know that this letter writer, that, that this, the friend in the letter is choosing their, the roommate's comfort over her own. I'm sorry, over, over the letter friends, writers. Over yeah. the letter writers. I think she's choosing her own comfort hmm. over the letter writers because she doesn't want to get into it with this guy. Yeah. And she's already tried. she's done it before, she's, so. She already finds it to be a difficult thing. Yeah. And you are you live with this person. Sure. So it might get uncomfortable. They probably, like, whatever, do the dishes and, like, buy orange juice sometimes. So, like, things are working in that regard. And this is a question of, like, I realized, I know I said I was going to address the letter writer, but going back to this kind of white person social justice thing, this is a question of how much people are willing to be inconvenienced to deal with racism. And the, the reason that it's not a, very, not very. And the reason it's a really big deal is because um, racism as a, on the receiving end is extremely inconvenient. It's emotionally degrading. It makes you feel like you don't have any worth. Sometimes you feel like your life isn't isn't of value. It's like 
exceedingly inconvenient. And people who experience racism on a regular basis are just like, look, we've done, what else can we do? We've done everything. We've armed ourselves. We've marched peacefully. We've tried to educate the people. We've tried to become president of the United States. Like we've done every fucking thing we can possibly do. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it hasn't helped. So really, can you guys just throw us, a, like just pitch in, just mm-hmm. mix in a little help. Mm-hmm. And when white people's response is like, I mean, as long as it's not like too awkward for me, sure. That's pretty frustrating. Um, and so I think that's where the, so returning to the letter writer, uh, yeah, this, you need, this person can't be in your life. Yeah. And you I, ne- I would also throw into that category the mutual friend who said you can't expect her to go against her roommate. Yeah, fuck friend. that person too. Like Jettison question, them all. That, that is not a person who thinks you are worth having an uncomfortable conversation with someone else about. Yeah. And that's bad. Like, that should be a bare minimum for friendship. That is not a counterpoint. Those people all need to be jettisoned from the ship. Right. Get them the fuck out of here. And here's the thing is that fortunately there are an- there are people in the world who are not like this. So you don't have to. And this is something I experienced too, being like a black person who grew up around a good number of white people. And then by just fate ended up having a social circle that was largely comprised of white people. And so it feels like at a certain point in your life, like, man, these people, like as you grow up and understand more about racism, you're like, these people are kind of fucked, but they're all I have. Like, these are my friends. These are the people I kick it with. Right. Uh, And you feel like there's no one else out there because no one wants to be, um, kicked out of the garden and have to wander in the desert alone. And I think that's the feeling that people have when they leave their social circle. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would tell this letter writer, there are plenty of people out there that you can be friends with who don't do this to you. Yeah. And you should go find those people. Yes. Or at the very least, you need to get rid of all these clowns yes. because none of these people are, are helpful at all. But I do think that you, because the question here is like... It sounds like they know on some level. Like, they seem pretty clear. Like, I know we're not going to be close anymore. And their sort of question is, is it going to be worth telling her why? Yeah, so that's what I was going to get to. So I think, yes. Mm-hmm. I think in a in kind of like the advice you gave in the last letter, in a controlled, simple, well-thought-out, planned, preordained way, you say to the person, look, our friendship is over. Here's some things you should know. Yep. I understand you want to be woke. I understand this is important to you, mm-hmm. or you, you say it is. This is great. Here's where it falls apart for me. Here's why. This person can even take some of the things that we've said in this letter, I mean, in the, in this podcast, and quote them word for word. Sure. You can use my words, and you say these things, uh, and then you keep it moving. And maybe, and I don't think it's anyone's responsibility at this point, you really don't want to think you have to still educate people. Right. Because, God, it's out there. Like, Google, it's in, like it's out there. Right. But still, friendships have history to them. And these people have been friends on some level. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as there's been weird racist stuff here, and some other night, it was just the two of them kicking it in a pizza parlor at midnight, and they were having the best conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to let all that go. You you could say to this person, look, here's what you need to know. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that. Go figure it out. Yeah. I think the only thing I would add to that is just ask yourself, does the idea of telling her this make mm. me feel like I'm empowering myself, like I'm speaking up? And I'm doing something that will make me feel better. Or do I feel like I will be educating her, working hard to convince her of something, getting drawn into an argument where I have to prove the existence of racism? Um, and and if it is like you don't owe her it. That's I a think. great point. That's a really good point. That's a really important distinction. I'm glad you said that. And we, we can do that sometimes. I think a lot of like especially well-meaning but still racist white people will sort of put that burden, especially on our friends who are like people of color will just sort of say, well, teach me. I, I didn't realize it. And it's like, that's not your job. So 
if if that feels good to you, if that would make you feel better about ending that friendship for you to say, hey, I want you to know that I can't feel close to you anymore because when someone said the N-word like two men in front of me, you didn't do anything about it. And then on other instances, when I've experienced racism, you've denied it because you didn't want to have a difficult conversation with someone you were close to. Mm. Um, you know, the you know, a good medium for that is a letter. You get to write the letter. That way you don't have to deal with like the feedback Mm -hmm. and the fight and get drawn into someone's bullshit. Right. The kind of white fragility that sometimes comes when we are criticized by a person of color, which is sort of like, but I'm a good person. Oh, God, now I feel bad. Do you mean I'm racist? Take care of me. And then the conversation becomes about managing white feelings and not the actual hurt of a person of color. This person who who will probably get upset is free to do that, but they should do it alone. The letter writer shouldn't have to be a part of that experience. The, the letter writer shouldn't have to be there to coddle them through that. Yeah. So maybe in this case, it is the kind of thing where you get to sit down for a moment, write out your thoughts and feelings, uh, and then you get to hold the letter. The other great thing about letters is you can write them and decide whether or not to send them. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe you hold the thing for a few days, three days, and then you decide whether or not you're going to press send, and then that's it. Choice is yours. You let the person deal with it on their own time. And if they, if this person really wants to be woke, God bless them. I hope that they receive this information and do something with it. Yep, yep. They've got a real opportunity. I mean— Hearing a white person say the N-word's a usually pretty clear-cut situation. Seems like an opportunity there. Uh, Mickey Kendall, who was a guest of the show a couple of weeks ago, was recently talking about this on Twitter.com mm. uh, and kind of encapsulated this sort of general idea, which was like, look, if my grandmother uh, could go through Jim Crow as a little girl, your grandmother can handle a conversation about racism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, that's not to say that everyone's going to listen and receive it really well, but like, yeah. You can we can have tough conversations with people we care about and we can say that was racist without, Mm -hmm. um, you know, exploding. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Yeah. It's hard. All right. Yeah. Carvel, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful as always. Remember, next time we're getting you on here and you're going to be Captain Divorce. I hope it's soon. And you're just going to teach everyone how to get divorced as best as possible or avoid it if they can. We're going to, yes, we're going to end this whole thing. We're going to (laughs) nip this in the bud. All right. All right. Go away now. Bye. Bye. I want to give a shout out to all the bisexual listeners of this podcast because this week is Bisexual Awareness Week. So please... Be aware of bisexuals. Obviously, I realize that because of the power of time, by the time you listen to this, it will no longer be Bisexual Awareness Week. But you know what? I think it's still a good idea to be aware of bisexuals, whatever week it is. Um, So make it Bisexual Awareness Week. Uh, We're here. We're queer. Be aware. That doesn't rhyme. Um, We're great. We're fantastic. You should be super nice to us and just buy us rotisserie chickens from Costco, if you have a Costco club card, and if we eat meat, and if we like chicken. Um, if none of those conditions are met, don't buy us a rotisserie chicken from Costco. But do be cool, and don't be lousy, and don't say things like, you're probably just gay, or you're probably just straight, or you're definitely going to cheat on me, or any sort of predictions about how we will or won't behave, um, other than just, we'll be bisexual, probably, um, is what we tend to do with our time, and our lives, and our choices. And in conclusion, bisexuality is a land of contrasts. I hope you enjoyed this report. Thank you for listening to Dear Prudence, even if you're not bisexual. 
Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. I'd love to answer your question. Call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. We're going to do it. I keep putting too many written questions in the script and we never have time. Uh, I I think I'm getting the same sort of voicemail anxiety that I get in real life, which is if I get a voicemail and I see that little red number on my phone, I think, ah, the important thing to do is never listen to this and hope that I somehow absorb the information through osmosis, I guess, by touching my phone. It's a bad strategy. It's not helpful. I'm going to start answering voicemails. This is my solemn pledge to you. So if you call me and you leave a message, I will listen to it. So call, ask me a question. Thank you. Bye. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.